You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. We're going to be in several different passages this morning, but we're going to start and end in 2 Corinthians 3. We'll also be in Ephesians 3 as well. Let's pray and we'll jump into God's Word together. Father, we pause before you this morning, thankful for your word, thankful for the truths that we find in it. God, I pray that as we dive into this passage that you would encourage our hearts, convict our hearts, show us um, the posture of boldness and confidence in Christ that we should live with no matter where you are sending us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and following. He writes, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, When they read the Old Covenant, which is the law, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. A few years ago, my family and I were in Atlanta for for a weekend family vacation. And we went to the Atlanta Zoo to see the pandas. And so I don't know if you've been to the Atlanta Zoo in a while, but they have a a 24-hour panda cam which is pretty hilarious that you can watch at all times and even like at night you can watch like people like clean the cage and stuff which is super weird but you can go and see these cute awesome cuddly pandas and I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old so they love it so we were going to see the pandas but I had another mission my mission after we were going to see the pandas I wanted to go see the rhinos and then I wanted to go see the lions and so we get to the zoo We go see the pandas, cute, cuddly, awesome. Check that off the list. I don't know when the last time you saw a rhino was, but they're pretty stinking awesome, right? They're they're like little gray tank monsters with legs and like a horn that can impale you. And so we go see the pandas, check, cute, cuddly, awesome. Then I'm like, we got another mission. We got to go see these rhinos. And so we go see the rhinos, check. Tank monsters, awesome. Then we're going to see the lions. And at the Atlanta Zoo, I don't know if you've been there or not, but there's this rock right in the middle of the lion's cage. And it just so happens that this day when we were there, the main lion was perched up on this rock like he was Mufasa from the Lion King. I mean, he was just sitting and basking in all his glory. And I don't know the last time when you were in the presence of a lion, but it's pretty intimidating. Like, I don't care if it's like steel cage, steel cage, steel cage, steel cage. For miles, still pretty intimidating. So 
The lion is sitting up on this rock, perched like he's Mufasa from the Lion King, surveying his territory. Like we're, we have a ton of people just kind of crowded around the lion's cage watching this guy up here. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. And the lion looks right at us, the crowd of people, licks its lips. I'm just kidding, it doesn't lick its lips. But it does, I kid you not, look right at the crowd and this line lets out the loudest roar you have ever heard. And I don't know if you have ever heard a lion roar like an actual person or in live presence that's not like on the Discovery Channel, but it is pretty intimidating. I mean, it was so loud, everything in my body was basically just shaking. People were scattering. Like, and then remembering they had kids and coming back and getting their kids and taking them with them. Being in the presence of a lion is pretty intimidating. Being in the presence of something powerful is pretty intimidating. And much like the lion, the presence of God is not just intimidating. Church, it is unapproachable. The presence of God is not just intimidating, it is unapproachable. Just for a moment, I want to take us our attention back to this concept of glory this morning that Pastor Trent so faithfully unpacked it for us last week. But when I was in seminary, they made us memorize definitions of theological terms in theology class. And, and one of the terms that I memorized was the term glory. I don't, it always stuck with me. I don't know if it was just because... Like it was the shortest word that I ever memorized or, uh, or, or what. But it really began to stick with me and, and I, it really began to framework my entire like kingdom theology as I began to understand its meaning and apply it to scripture and see how it all fits together in the canon and the meta narrative of the Bible. And so it was defined that day like this, and it should be on your screen. Glory is the, the mighty manifestation, right? The unapproachable mighty manifestation of God's immediate presence. It's the unapproachable, mighty manifestation of God's immediate presence. In other words, God's presence is unapproachable. You cannot go into his presence without bad things happening. And last week, we saw in Isaiah 6, God sitting on his throne. As Isaiah's having this vision, God sitting on his throne. The train of his robe is filling the whole temple. These sinless angels flying around God's throne, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And these sinless angels could not even be in the presence of a holy God. What were they doing? They had six wings. With two wings they were flying. With two wings they were covering the lower half of their body. With two wings they were covering the upper half of their body. And these, these sinless angels couldn't even be in his presence. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul reminds us of this glory, this unapproachable, this mighty manifestation of his immediate presence, presence that we cannot approach. C.S. Lewis called it the weight of glory, like the weight of glory. When you use the term glory, sometimes we use it as, as give him glory, give him praise, but when we read scripture more often than not, glory, his presence is war-like language. 
It is a warlike presence. You cannot go into the presence of God without something happening. And oftentimes throughout the Old Testament, we see bad things happening in the presence of God where it is manifested in the people of Israel. Moses experienced this in the book of Exodus when he would go on top of the mountain to meet with God. When Moses would, would be in the presence of God, what would happen? His face would glow. He would put a veil over his face when he would come down off the mountain and, and meet with the people of Israel so that the people of Israel would not see his glowing face. In the presence of God, things happen. Verse 12, but since we have such a hope, church, since we have such a hope, believers in Jesus have this hope. We are very bold. And why are we bold? Verse 13 and following. Right, those who don't know Christ have, have veils over their hearts. But for those who know Christ, the veil is removed. Verse 13, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face, that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, which is the law, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through who? Christ. Only through Jesus is it taken away. Those who don't know Christ have veils over their hearts. But for those who know Christ, the veil is removed. One of my favorite passage, passages in all scripture is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And uh, out of this passage, there's this word glory that we've been talking about. And six years ago, we named our student ministry service on Wednesday night doxa, which is the Greek word for glory, out of this passage. And I want to read it to you and kind of bring our, our attention to what the author of Hebrews is saying. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, i.e., the glowing face of Moses. But in these last days, so last days for us, how we interpret scripture is, is Acts 2, basically Acts 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit until when he comes again. So this period in history, Acts 2 to when he comes again, last days. We are in these last days. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Hopefully you see where we're going with this and how it's going to connect in just a moment. And the exact imprint of his nature, the exact image of God. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the majesty on high. You see, we cannot approach the presence of God unless we have someone take us into his presence. And that's what Hebrews is telling us. That's what Paul's reminding us of. The Israelites saw the glory of God in the cloud which was dark and dreadful. But Christians, if you're a Christian in the room today, you see the glory of God, the unapproachable 
mighty manifestation of his immediate presence, you see the glory of God more clearly, more comfortably through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the things of God were revealed in types and shadows, but we see the things of God clearly in the accomplishment of Christ's death and his resurrection for us. Under the law, we experience the weight of not being able to keep the law. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's good news, church. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact personification of his presence. He's the radiance of who God is. He is the exact image of God the Father, and we are able to approach the glory of God, the presence of God. Why? Because he was the one who made purification for sins for us. He lived the life that we could not live for us. He died the death that we should have died for us. He was the the sacrifice that you and I can't give even on the greatest day of our life. And he is the conquering king over all of our enemies, but specifically sin and death. And that Christian should make you bold. It should make you bold. Jesus is alive. The grave is empty. Death has been crushed. There are no more chains, no more tears, only grace, only mercy, only Jesus. And since we have such a hope, Paul says, we are very bold. And in verse 17, we are reminded that in this we hope, we are not just bold, but we are also what? We're also free. He says, now the Spirit, or the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Why? Because of everything that we just talked about. Hebrews 1, 2 Corinthians 3, and we all, Bold Christians with unveiled faces. Why? Because we don't live under the law anymore. Beholding the glory of the Lord, this unapproachable presence, are being transformed in the same image, this image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Man, this is good stuff. Insert Ephesians 3 and the vision to plant Veritas City in Washington, D.C. Paul says this in verse 7 of Ephesians 3. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all sinners, I love Paul's humility here, 
Paul's like, I'm the least of all sinners. If you knew my testimony at all, if you knew what I came from, if you knew how I persecuted Christians in the early church, you knew what I did, I'm the least of all that should be used by God in any single way. I'm the least of all the saints. But this grace was given through Christ's death and his resurrection, church, to preach to the Gentiles. So I don't have a, enough time to un- unpack a, a, a Jew-Gentile theology But for our purposes here, Gentiles are the entire world. The unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse nine, to bring to light for everyone. Who? Who? Come on, who? Everyone. 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 Those who live in the southeast, those who live in the northeast, those who live out west, those who live in South America, those who live in Africa or, or Europe or Asia, everyone, those who live here in Maryville or there in Washington, D.C., everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages and God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have, what? What? That's right. In whom we have boldness and access with what? Yes. And access with confidence through our faith in him. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Going back to verse 12. Since we have this hope, 2 Corinthians We are very bold, veil removed, believers in Jesus. We're being transformed into the image of God. God sends us out through the church with boldness and access, with confidence through our faith in him. If anybody in all of history, in all of the world today, should have the posture of confidence and boldness as they live, it should be Christians for what Jesus has already done for us. And so Foothills Church is is planning a church in in Washington, D.C., and and we believe that the gospel is spread throughout the world through the planting of Bible-believing, gospel-centered local church. We have the book of Acts as our evidence. We have church history as our guide. And we believe that as the gospel is spread, it is spread through the planting of, of local churches all over the world. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. And I think that as we look through this, this is local churches that are actual physical places all over the world. And so as you've heard, God has called the Gibson family, which is me and my wife and our two kids, to move to Washington, D.C. from here. And uh, about a year and a half ago, God began to, to stir in our hearts a calling that we felt even years and years ago, which we were, were doing here, planting churches. And um, I feel like that's going to be the, the pedestal of where God is calling us and leading us the rest of our life is just to plant churches, period. Die, be forgotten, period. And as we began to, to pray, 
how we were going to plant churches and what God was going to do in, in our life. Um, we, DC wasn't even on our radar at the time. Like we, we hadn't even thought about DC. Like I was thinking of like some cities. I wanted to be in a strategic city, North America, which I'll talk about why in just a minute. But I was thinking like Denver or San Diego because those cities are awesome, you know? Like mountains and then like a city on the beach that's 70 degrees all year long. Let's go there and plant churches. And uh, like I said, D.C. wasn't on our radar. We went to D.C. last April. God planted a seed in both of our hearts that has blossomed into what it is today. While we were there, several different conversations unfolded. Guys who I were with didn't even know that this is what we were praying through at the time. Where is church planting going to happen with the Gibson family? And they were affirming, Greg, what do you think about planting a church in Washington, D.C.? Greg, what do you think about planting a church in Washington, D.C.? And then we're driving down the road in Washington, D.C., well, probably sitting in traffic if it's D.C., and Grace was like, what about D.C.? And that began our journey, honestly. We began to pray through what it looked like to plant a Bible-believing, evangelical, gospel-centered church in D.C. And so I, we began to pray, and we, then we basically began to study the city. Does it have needs? Do we need to to plant more churches in D.C.? And, and we realized pretty quickly that the needs there are staggering, just staggering. Six and a half million people in D.C., 900,000 plus in the district, which is a very small place. According to, to Pew Research, 10% of those are Christians, but I would bet my next paycheck that it's probably closer to 5%. Um, once you take out certain questions and health and wealth denominations, and I, I would kind of define it as Bible-believing Christians, 5%. And to put it in perspective, there's one church for every 25,000 people. That's one church for every Maryville. And once you get to Boston, it's one church for every 55,000 people. Once you get to New York City, it's even greater. So the need is there. And God began to show us, pretty quickly that we are being called to be faithful. And so when I began to look at the Northeast, and specifically Washington, D.C., the place where culture is created in our country, and one of the most strategic, I believe the strategic cities in the world, has less than 5% Bible-believing Christians, something is awry there. God began to break our heart towards that, and we began to walk in faith towards what that could possibly be. And so it wasn't like an Isaiah 6 experience for me. Like I wasn't sitting like on top of a mountain, you know, and like a bird lands on my shoulder and starts chirping, D.C., D.C. I'm like, oh, Grace, we got to go to D.C., this bird land. You know, it was totally simple. It's so simple. When I... When I read the Bible, the call of God on the follower of Christ is to go and make disciples of all nations. This is what is known as the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. And this doesn't apply to just the ones who are more courageous or something than the rest of us. It applies to all Christians in all 
of history post-Acts 2, all of us are called to make disciples of all nations. All of us are to say in a posture of faithfulness, like Isaiah, here I am, God, send me. Here I am, I will be faithful. Send me where you are directing. Send me where you are leading. This is not a select calling. This is a global calling for every Christian in the entire world, whether you live in Maryville, Tennessee, or you live in Tokyo. There are 100 plus people groups in D.C. alone. The nations are gathering in big cities all over the world, which is why our prayer from the beginning was God lead us to a strategic city because nation Nations and people groups are gathering from all over the world in cities all over the world. And so again, the recipe for us was was pretty simple. God's command to go plus us being available and faithful equals being sent. And so where is this application for, for us? Where's this application for you? Because I wanna, I wanna dive into a, a little bit of a theology of sending and going. Um, but I think it's pretty simple and I wanna take us back to the basics for a beginning. But here's, here's, here's some application for us from this. And the first point is simple. Trust in Christ, church. Trust in Christ, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is what? The veil's removed, the veil's gone, the veil is burnt up, the veil is destroyed, the veil is crushed. There's no more unbelief. We're not living under the weight of the law anymore. Though we struggle with things and we struggle with sin and we struggle with unbelief, we have been bought and purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, there is no better decision in the world than turning to Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. If you're not a Christian here this morning, we want to invite you to do that first. Trust in Christ. We have a room right back here called the Care and Prayer Room with with counselors who are ready to talk with you about what it means to to follow Christ, to put your faith in Christ and experience this freedom about which Paul is writing. Because again, there's freedom. It might seem like the Christian life is, is like full of rules. Do this, do this, do this, do this. But in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's not a, it's not a, an identification with a list of rules. It's a conformity to a person who kept the rules for us. And as we conform to him, we experience these things that we're talking about, boldness and courage and confidence and humility and kindness and faithfulness that all bleed out in the fruits of the spirit as we walk with Christ. Because it's a life full of freedom as we follow a person who is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a life in Christ that is a life that is free, but most importantly, free to live as God created you to live in his image and for his glory. And the second thing is this, obey the command to send and go. Obey the command to send and go. Notice here the command is to send and go. Next week we're going to look at the book of Philippians, specifically chapter four, about how, how Paul planted the church in Philippi, and then they sent him out and partnered with him as he went and planted more churches. So we're going to talk about how Foothills Church next week is, is going to partner with Veritas City um, in D.C. Basically, Veritas is, is Latin for truth. I guess I just like old dead languages. 
And so we're going to talk a little bit about how you, as the senders, are sending us, the goers, and how this partnership is going to unfold. But here's what I want you to see. Going, what I'm talking about here in going is not just like, I'm talking going to the nations, right? Or going to where there's limited gospel witness or there's zero gospel witness. So in other words, if you don't go, you better send. If you don't go, you better send. Here's what I want you to see. Both sending and going are postures of faithfulness. I firmly believe that if you don't go, you better commit your life. Remember how I'm defining going here. You better commit your life to sending. This means several things if you're going to be a sender. It means you're committed to developing leaders, sending them out. Our church is is doing that. It means that as you send, you also support. You support in several ways. You support with prayer, you support with people, and you support with resources that are abounding. For those who are senders, you better be supporters. Listen, I'm, I'm, and not just like the, like the, oh, you're so bold, like we're gonna be praying for you because you're gonna need it type of support. Like we need that, we want prayer, we're gonna talk about how you can partner with us in just a minute. I'm talking generous, generous, generous financial support. If you're gonna be a sender, you better be a Goliath of a sender. You better, in faithfulness, say there are people going and I am sacrificing and sending and my sending is not just, hey, I'm gonna pray for you. My sending is, man, here is what you need to succeed. A, B, C, down the line. So here's how you can partner with with us. As we go, we plant Veritas City in D.C., As we go in church, you send. Here's how you can partner with us. First thing you can do, obviously, is pray for us. Like, we want prayer. We don't just need prayer partners, man. We need prayer warriors. We need prayer warriors. Over the last five months, I've traveled over 16 times out of state. I've been like an international businessman. It's been terrible. But I've been able to share the vision of planting in D.C. with literally dozens of churches in front of almost 10,000 people in five months and have met hundreds of people. And most of the time, people come up and say, you know, something nice like, you know, thank you for what you're doing. They sure need it up there. We're praying for you. And then they'll throw in some like unchristian-like comment about President Obama. And then I'll awkwardly and nervously laugh. And then our conversation's over and we leave. So it's, it's kind of an interaction. But prayer warriors understand that no one needs grace more than them. Christians should be the first to fall on our knees and be like, man, God, we need your grace first and foremost. It's not an us first them. It's not an us riding in on a white horse, saving the day, some functional Messiah. It is us, me, who needs your grace every morning, every afternoon, every evening, every single day, and then I'm going to pray for those who we are sending to take the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with them as they go. Listen, prayer warriors in the room, we need those prayers. We covet those prayers. We want you to pray for us. 
We want you to pray for us as often as you think of us. But if you are a prayer warrior in the room, man, we need your prayers. Here's a couple ways you can pray for us. Pray for my family as we move. Pray for us to settle well. What I mean by settle well, just all the details that have to unfold. Pray for relationships to develop in the community of Georgetown where we're going. Pray for favor amongst community leaders in Georgetown. Pray for salvations, obviously. Pray for me as I lead in and through this and cast vision and preach the gospel in a city that is very hostile to the gospel. D.C. is a city that's made up its mind on several things, specifically gender, marriage, and sexuality. So those who hold to the, the wholeness of the Christian life and the fullness of the gospel, you're entering into a hostile area. But let us remember that even in hostile territories, as history reminds us and the book of Acts reminds us, that the spread of the gospel in those areas is, is like a, a, a wildfire. It's, it, it's, it's rampant. And nothing, not even the gates of hell, church, can stop it. And so prayer warriors, pray with us and pray for us because we go with confidence in Christ that God is saving people all over the world in Africa, in communist China, in the Sudan, churches are being planted and churches will be planted in major cities throughout North America. So pray with us. The second thing you can do is give to us. Let me explain this clearly. Foothills Church is gonna be our sending church. Again, we're gonna talk more about that next week and what that looks like. But as you give to Foothills, you're also giving to Veritas. So as you give generously, as you're Goliath of a, a, a sender and supporter and giver, you're giving to, 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 to us, to the work that we're doing. As you give here, as you give to the missions offering in several months, as you're faithful to, to give and go, your gift and your, your generosity multiplies to the ends of the earth, to church plants like ours in D.C., so if you haven't heard, D.C. is stupid expensive. Like, Grace and I just sold our home, and what we sold our home for can't even buy a studio apartment in D.C. It's so, so dumb. Like, needless to say, it's, it's going to be a lot different. It's going to be a lot different. We're going to be going from um, a city, you know, a suburb to a city, a house to an apartment, and we're going to be paying crazy, dumb money. For small space, like $3,500 for two to three bedrooms. And like, as you give to us and as there's needs for our family in a place that is expensive, we get that. We know that. We understand that. But I think there are people in this church, in the church that we're being sent by, who have enough resources that could pay our rent for three, three years. Who could pay for a second staff member's salary. If that person's you, I'm going to give you a hug so long, it's going to make you feel so uncomfortable and super awkward. But again, pray about how you can give generously to the mission of Foothills Church that's going to be expressed in Washington, D.C. And the last thing is you can just go with us. You can go with us. I'm not joking about this either. Grace and I have been praying for five families from the church, from this church, the church that we love. We've been here from the beginning to be sent with us, to move to Washington, D.C. with us sometime between like today 
in January 1 of, of 2017. And God is bringing resources. It's unbelievable. Since we've even talked about, we announced this in February, his faithfulness and the, the, the financial resource he's providing is, is unbelievable. This is another evidence of his grace in this. And the people who want to be a part of this is, is incredible. People literally from all over the world are wanting to be a part of our core team which I'll talk what about a core team is, again, a little bit next week. But we are praying for families from this church, not just from all over the world, but from this church specifically to go with us. And these five families would see themselves as goers being sent by an incredible church family, commissioned by an incredible church family. These five families would see themselves, or however many families, would see themselves as missionaries to what I believe is the greatest city on earth. And these five families would leverage their lives and their careers and move their children and their jobs and their homes to help plant this church in Washington, D.C. We believe that there are families here who God has called to move with us and are ready to move with us even today. And so pray for us, give to us, or go with us. Whether you go to D.C. with us or not, wherever you go, whether it's to the ends of the earth or across the street to your neighbor, here's point three. Go with boldness and confidence that you have in Christ. Go with that boldness. Go with that confidence. Wherever God's leading you and wherever he's leading your family, go with that same confidence and boldness that we read about in his word in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and in Ephesians 3 and Hebrews 1. Boldness is a mark of our obedience. Because we have this great hope, verse 12, since we have this hope, we are very bold. We have access to him with confidence. He is in control. He sits on his throne. He is not a junior college professor, no offense junior college professors, but he's not a junior college professor sitting in the sky trying to figure out what to do as history turns. He has it directed. Jesus will come again when he says so. We live out of the posture of boldness and confidence that we have in Christ. Boldness is a mark of obedience. It's a mark of our obedience in both the the big things and small things. So, so maybe this is what it looks like in your life. You're obedient to, to, to get off work and drive home and be a good and faithful husband and dad or wife and mom. You're obedient to be bold and being faithful to your family. If you're married, being faithful to your spouse. You're obedient to be bold and being faithful at work or being a good neighbor or being a good community citizen. What is that for you? Obedience in the small things. As we've just talked about, it just so happens God's calling us to, to have a different type of obedience. He's calling us to move my family to Washington, D.C. to plant a Bible-believing church. We're leaving a church that we love. Our best friends are in Maryville now. We're leaving family that we love. My family lives here. We're, we're leaving lots of things that we love but we never see, I want you to hear this, we never see in scripture that obedience is easy. Not one place. I've combed this sucker. 
We never see obedience is easy. It hasn't been for us. In lots of ways, we leave kicking and screaming. We leave, again, a, a church family that we love. We love this church. It has been an honor to, to pastor families here for the last six years. We're leaving our family again who lives close to us. It's not easy to take my daughter away from her cousins whom she loves and has the best of relationships with. It's not easy to take my son away from the relationship he has with his papa, my dad, who, full disclosure, is, is one of the most special things in my life to watch my dad and son's relationship. But we go with boldness, with confidence that those relationships will still flourish, they will remain, that new ones will also be created. And so my question for you is, is what is that for you? Where is God calling you? What is God calling you to do? And maybe he's calling you to be a faithful businessman or woman in our community. Maybe he's calling you to be a faithful educator in our community. Maybe he's calling you if, you, if you work in industry in our area, to be faithful where you work and take the gospel with you and be a missionary there. Maybe he's calling you to be a faithful neighbor. Or maybe he's calling you to be a faithful papa. I don't know. What is that for you? Where is God calling you? What is God calling you to do? Because he's all calling us to be a part of the Great Commission, whether we're goers or whether we are senders. And we go with the posture of everything we've been clothed with in Christ, the boldness, the confidence, the courage, the faithfulness, the what ifs. We go with all those things, knowing God's in control. He sits on his throne. Jesus sits at his right hand. And Jesus intercedes for us even as we pray and ask for him to work here, ask for him to work in our families, ask for him to work in Washington, D.C. In C.S. Lewis's celebrated children's book, which I still read as a 30-year-old, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, he tells of the adventures of, of four young children in the magical kingdom of Narnia. And this story is fun. It's an allegory of Christ and salvation with the Christ figure as Aslan the lion and when in Narnia the children meet two characters Mr. and Miss Beaver who describe the mighty lion to them and I just want to read their dialogue Lucy one of the four children she asks is he a man and Mr. Beaver says Aslan a man certainly not Aslan is a lion the lion the great lion oh said Susan I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then Miss Beaver says, that you will, dearie, and make no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly.
then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe? Don't you hear what, what we're telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He is the king. The lion in the cage at the Atlanta Zoo isn't safe. Steel cage, steel cage, steel cage, steel cage for miles. In that sucker's presence, it's a little intimidating. He's the king of the animal world. Friends, Jesus is not safe, but he is good. Because he is the king. He's the radiance of the glory of God. And he takes us into the presence of God. This unapproachable presence. When we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, and then he sends us out. We go in that salvation we go at the posture of boldness and confidence to take the gospel with us to the nations or to our neighbor and one day our king the radiance of the glory of God will return in all of his splendor you and I we all will stand before him knees knocking and all not because we're standing before a king who's ready to attack us, but because if you are a Christian, you're standing joyfully in front of your savior, your king, the very glory of God, who takes us joyfully into the unapproachable and mighty presence of God. But until then, we stand with open arms and we say wherever you will, God, send me. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.